Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. The White House compares Republican governors to human smugglers for sending illegal immigrants to other states. And an update on those who were sent to Martha's Vineyard. A federal judge has selected a special master, the person who will review documents seized from Mar-a-Lago. Is his background a good fit for the job? As the military struggles to meet its recruitment goals, thousands of troops still face expulsion for refusing the COVID-19 vaccine. Now, almost 50 lawmakers are doing something about it. It's time for lawmakers to fund the government for 2023. And some Republicans, hopeful of taking control of Congress soon, want to defund parts of Biden's agenda. And protecting the children. 13 men, including a Disney employee, have been arrested in Florida for allegedly trying to initiate intimate relationships with minors. A federal judge has picked a special master, Judge Raymond Deary, to review the 11,000 documents seized from former President Trump. He will be able to see classified records that the Justice Department didn't want him to see. So, who is Judge Raymond Deary? NTD's Arlene Richards reports. After a week of speculation and many new developments in the ongoing legal battle between the Department of Justice and the Trump team, a federal judge has selected a special master. U.S. District Judge Eileen Cannon on Thursday chose Trump's pick Judge Raymond Deary, who was also approved by the DOJ. At the same time, Cannon denied the DOJ's request for a partial stay to allow it continued access to at least 100 documents marked classified. Trump has repeatedly stated that he declassified all of the documents. Deary has until November 30th to review the documents, more than a month longer than the DOJ's requested deadline of October 17th. Deary is a former chief judge of the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of New York. President Ronald Reagan appointed him in 1986. He's been a well-respected judge for decades, and he served on the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court. Deary is known for approving one of the FBI applications for a warrant to watch former Trump campaign aide Carter Page during the Russia investigation. His June 2017 order was one of two orders later declared invalid after a DOJ inspector general report said that there was, quote, inaccurate information being included in the applications. Steve Gold, a law professor who previously worked as a clerk for Deary, told the BBC that Deary has, quote, handled major cases and intense media interest. Deary will provide an extra check on the Justice Department's review of documents seized from Trump's Florida home and filter out privileged information. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. Nearly 50 members of Congress have called on the Department of Defense to end its COVID-19 vaccine mandate. They're concerned about the military's readiness for combat. NTD's Jason Perry has the story. In a letter to Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, almost 50 Republican lawmakers called for an immediate end to the COVID-19 vaccine mandate for service members, civilian personnel, and contractors. They are citing concerns for the military's readiness for combat. They say in the U.S. Army alone, over 75,000 soldiers face expulsion for refusing the COVID-19 vaccine. The time of great power competition, potentially with China and Russia, not the time to be tampering with our readiness. Matt Lohmeyer was a lieutenant colonel in the U.S. Space Force until after he blew the whistle on Marxist ideology in the military. 
In an interview on NTD's Capitol Report with Steve Lance, Lohmeyer explained how the COVID-19 vaccine mandate is affecting Air Force pilots, including one he communicated with recently. Uh, texting back and forth with a couple, one of whom uh, is was, excuse me, a squadron commander uh, in a fighter squadron in the Air Force. He was grounded and removed from his command for his decision to not take the shot. And despite a preliminary injunction in a federal court in Ohio almost two months ago now, uh, saying that the Air Force was not legally justified in taking any punitive action against its service members for the refusal to take the shot, he and every other combat aviator of which he is aware have not yet been returned to flying status as of this morning. And so this is a really big problem. Our senior uh, defense officials seem uh, uninterested in uh, abiding by law. The letter from lawmakers also calls for service members who have already been discharged for refusing the vaccine to be reinstated. Former President Trump said if he were reelected, he would reinstate those troops and give them back pay. We reached out to the Department of Defense for comment, but we didn't hear back before airtime. Jason Perry, NTD News. It's that time of year again. Lawmakers must fund the government. But some Republicans in the House and Senate are pushing to delay a full funding bill until after a new Congress is sworn in. The end goal is to withhold funding from Biden's agenda if the GOP takes the majority. NTD's Melina Weiskup has the details. Lawmakers must fund the government before the end of the month, and leadership is working on passing a temporary funding bill that would fund the government through mid-December, and then they would come back during what's called a lame duck session, which is after midterms but before the new Congress is sworn in, and act on passing the full 2023 budget. Under these circumstances, Democrats would have more control over where money is allocated in 2023, but some Republicans are trying to prevent this. Here's what the House Freedom Caucus chairman told me about what they're doing and why. The, the overall goal is to stop the tyranny of what's happening across America, whether it's the border, whether it's the price of, of the cost of living, whether it's energy costs, really the, the empowerment and the weaponizing of the federal government against people that you don't agree with politically. All that has to end and Republicans need to stop voting to fund it, period, at all levels. If they get their way and win enough seats to take control, it could allow Republicans to withhold funding from Biden's key priorities, such as withholding the newly passed funding from the IRS and other parts of the newly signed into law Inflation Reduction Act. This whole agenda the Biden administration is bankrupt in this country. And it's going to continue to get worse and worse and worse until we stop this reckless spending that's happening up here. Senator Scott and a handful of other senators, including Senator Lee and Senator Cruz, are also pushing to delay the 2023 funding bill until January. And force the Democrats to own all of the bad spending and policy. Lawmakers on the House Freedom Caucus tell us they're hopeful that more senators will join this effort. I don't know where McConnell is on it, and he's the guy that kind of drives what's going to go in the Senate. I'm cautiously optimistic. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell has not yet made clear his specific position. Now, lawmakers have left town without passing anything to fund the government, neither short-term nor long-term, but we will be able to see where leadership stands on this over the next two weeks once Congress comes back in session because they are on a tight deadline to get this done. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. Discord over illegal immigration intensifies. The White House disparages GOP governors who are sending illegal immigrants to Democratic cities. 
NTD's Iris Tao has more on how Republicans are responding. Republicans stepping up their protest of the Biden administration's border policies. This week, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis sent dozens of illegal immigrants to Martha's Vineyard. And Texas Governor Greg Abbott sent hundreds to Washington, D.C. And these actions are triggering condemnation from Democrats in the Biden administration, which are accusing Republican governors of using illegal immigrants for a political stunt. And we have a process in place to manage migrants at the border. We're working to make sure it's safe and orderly and humane. Republican officials should not interfere with that process by waging a politi these political stunts. The White House on Friday further accused these governors of using, quote, tactics we see from smugglers in places like Mexico and Guatemala. But the Florida governor defends his actions. We are doing it voluntarily. They sign a release and then they get a packet. What's not humane is what Biden is doing. He's false, given a false promise. The border is open, luring people to come here and then basically cutting these people loose and leaving high and dry. Meanwhile, White House officials are reportedly discussing litigation options against these GOP governors. I asked Texas Congressman Chip Roy for his take on it. Or you want to complain about 50 going to Martha's Vineyard when 53 human beings died in a bus in San Antonio, Texas? And the administration wants to sue a governor of a state for wanting to send a signal to the country? And that's what this is about. It's waking the country up. And on criticism. Saying that they're using immigrants as political pawns. How would you respond to that? Yeah, well, it's the administration that have been using human beings as political pawns now for many years. And the result are dead migrants and dead Americans. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Iris Tao, NTD News. And over in Massachusetts, Governor Charlie Baker is activating more than 100 National Guard members in response to the illegal immigrants sent to Martha's Vineyard. The governor's office also says they'll send the immigrants to a military base in Cape Cod and house them there, and that the base is well-equipped to serve the immigrants' needs. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis said he's considering more flights. He didn't specify whether they'd be sent to Martha's Vineyard or somewhere else. But the governor did say, quote, there's going to be buses like Texas is doing. Martha's Vineyard is an island in Massachusetts favored by the wealthy and powerful as a vacation spot and catching adults who solicit minors online. A Florida sheriff's office says they arrested 13 men who were after kids. One of them, a Disney employee. The Polk County Sheriff's Office in Florida on Thursday said they arrested 13 adults in a sting operation called Cyber Guardian 2, where detectives posed as minors online. They are grooming children online. They are seeking out children to have sex, and a percentage of them are successfully finding those children. Some of the arrested traveled to meet a minor. Instead, they met police. Others sent explicit pictures of themselves. One of the 13 offenders is 42-year-old Kevin Sanders, who, according to police, has been employed by Disney for the past 16 years. Police report that Sanders said he has a chatting addiction when he confessed. He used to work in a program for a couple of the parks that were doing public relations for children. The sheriff also explained what some of the other arrested men do for work. One of them, who works in IT, especially stood out. They install internet safety firewall blocking systems at schools to protect children 
from sexual predators. That's what he does. Another one of the culprits thought he was meaning a minor, but was instead greeted by police and Chris Hansen from To Catch a Predator. He told police after the arrest that he thought arranging the meeting went too smoothly. They report he said it was just like a Chris Hansen deal. Surprise. It was a Chris Hansen kind of deal. And then when he saw Chris Hansen, he was a fanboy. He thought, oh my gosh, Chris Hansen. It's nice that he confessed. The sheriff pointed out that it's important for parents to watch what their kids are doing online and for police all over the nation to actively go after potential predators. Reporting by Arian Pastar, NTD News. And in Idaho, a think tank is accusing the state's Department of Health and Welfare of offering porn literacy in their sex education courses for schools. The Idaho Freedom Foundation says this and other topics available in the school's sex ed curricula don't comply with state law. So let's take a closer look at this. To begin with, I spoke with the department and the allegations author, the foundation's education policy director, Anna Miller. Anna Miller, welcome to our show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Now, Idaho Department of Health and Welfare told me that it does not support or fund any porn literacy for children in Idaho. You've been digging into this for a while. What's your response based on what you've found? The truth is that Idaho's Department of Health and Welfare has been implementing sex education curriculum endorsed by Planned Parenthood in schools for several years. And the curriculum and training for this sex education and for facilitators implementing it is purchased from an interest group known as Education Training and Research, or ETR, and they promote queering education and, normally, and normalizing the consumption of pornography. So the Department of Health and Welfare has a very long history with this organization. They've been purchasing um, educational materials and resources and curriculum from them for quite a long time. So the organization ETR that you just referred to, it says that the particular curriculum that it provides to the department it doesn't include porn. But as you mentioned, it does recommend pornography as a required subject in sex ed. It says that it prepares teachers to answer questions about porn in a way that affirms young people's lived experiences. What are your concerns here? Yeah, so ETR is reducing the risk curriculum, which is endorsed by Planned Parenthood. It promises to teach abstinence, and that's not the case. Um, it doesn't directly include porn literacy. This is a supplemental resource um, offered by education training and resource or research. However, the reality is that the reducing the risk curriculum is actually what Planned Parenthood uh, authorities would call LGBTQ inclusive. And this curriculum queers education. Um, it emphasizes gender identity and sexual orientation. For example, the curriculum uses uh, gender neutral role plays of sexual encounters. Um, and this is in conflict with state law. Idaho law actually requires that sex education complement family life and that it presents scientific information. But RTR's curriculum emphasis on gender identity is not scientific. There's nothing scientific at all about claiming that gender can be severed from biological reality. And you say that a state public health agency also advocates abortion as a way to prevent teen pregnancy. What are your thoughts on that? That's correct. And it actually goes far beyond just advocating for abortion. So just for example, one state agency that's implementing this curriculum in schools called the North Central Health District, their um, program website offers many resources. For example, Power to Decide. Power to Decide shows kids where they can get an abortion. Another resource, uh, Love is Respect, 
uh, introduces kids to topics like polyamory, uh, gender transitions. It teaches kids how to hide browsing history from parents. Another resource used in this program um, under the title Sex, Etc., it takes students to articles like Transgender Men Can Get Pregnant Too, uh, surveys about masturbation, amaze.org videos, which feature cartoon depictions of porn and abortion. Imagine if these links were on a school district website. Parents would be absolutely outraged, but because they are on a public school or a public health district website, parents don't think to go check their public health district to learn what is being taught um, around sex education in their schools. So it's largely been flying under the radar for years. And the department says that schools that offer reducing the risk, the program offered by ETR, do so with parental consent. It says that they offer opt-in or opt-out for parents. As a parent and education policy director, you interface with many parents in Idaho. Is that their experience? Yeah, so the truth is that Idaho Code 33-1608 actually does not require school districts to notify parents of their child being put into a sex education course or their ability to opt their child out of the course. A school district could decide, their board could vote to have an opt-out policy where they notify parents. But that's not always the case. So what this means is that under current Idaho statute, Students are put into public sex education courses often without parental knowledge or consent. And what Idaho actually needs is an opt-in policy. Um, under a policy like this, parents would be required to be notified and they would have to give consent in order for their children to receive any type of sex education through a public school. And so what do you think, with the state of things as they are now, parents can do to protect their children? So parents really need to demand transparency. They can go to the legislature and ask this. They can file public records requests in their local school, but they absolutely should not let agencies like public, the public health district, um, North Idaho Central District, who are taking down links from their website now that they've been exposed, we should not let them fool them into thinking that this isn't happening. It's absolutely happening. And they should be very concerned about what's being taught to their children. All right, Anna Miller, Education Policy Director at Idaho Freedom Foundation. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. I also reached out to ETR, asking them to respond to parents' concerns about exposing children to topics like pornography. They said their health education curriculum does not include pornography, nor do they advocate for exposing young people to sexually explicit media, and that their role is to help educators feel prepared to answer young people's questions and provide trusted resources for them. And coming up, Russian and Chinese navies hold joint military drills in the Pacific. European countries demonstrate air power in the region, and the U.S. Secretary of Defense meets with his Japanese counterpart to discuss countering potential threats. And in sports, the family of WNBA star Brittany Griner was invited for a meeting at the White House today. NTD's Dave Martin has the latest on where negotiations stand with Russia. That and more coming up. Buzz in the Indo-Pacific region. Russia and China just kicked off joint drills, and European nations are flexing their muscles as well. All this while America and Japan discuss China. NTD's Tiffany Meyer brings us this report. As Chinese and Russian leaders met in Uzbekistan, so did the two nations' navies in the Pacific. Russia's defense ministry announced Thursday that Russian and Chinese forces have started joint military exercises in the Pacific Ocean. 
Warships from the two nations were set to perform drills and tactical maneuvering, signals communication, artillery fire, and shipboard helicopter operations. The ministry said the joint patrols are aimed at strengthening naval cooperation. Besides Russia and China, France is showing off its air power in the Indo-Pacific region. The Pegasus 2022 Air Force exercise started last month and will run until September 18th. German aircraft also recently flexed their power in the area, looking to push back on China's growing aggression. Both European countries presented their abilities to swiftly deploy battle forces to the region from thousands of miles away. As for what's next, Australia's largest multinational drill, dubbed the Pitch Black Exercise, will be held in the country's Northern Territory this October. It will span three weeks. U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin welcomed his Japanese counterpart to the Pentagon Wednesday. Austin highlighted the friendship between the U.S. and Japan. Our alliance remains a cornerstone of peace and prosperity in the Indo-Pacific. And our countries are bound by deep friendship and trust, as well as by our common interests and shared dem democratic values. He also emphasized the challenges presented by China's aggressive behavior. So let's be clear. China's coercive actions in the Taiwan Strait and in the waters surrounding Japan are provocative, destabilizing, and unprecedented. Our response, together with Japan and our other allies and partners, has been responsible, steady, and resolute. The two defense ministers discussed efforts to strengthen U.S.-Japan defense cooperation. Beijing has been increasing its military cooperation with Moscow, including taking part in several Russia-led drills. And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. A Michael Jordan jersey from Game 1 of the 1998 NBA Finals sold for $10.1 million yesterday, which is a record price for game-worn sports memorabilia. Jordan scored 33 points while wearing the uniform in the victory over Utah. The series is famous for being Jordan's final one with Chicago, where they beat the Jazz for the second straight time. Arguably the game's greatest player ever, Jordan, would go on to hit the title-winning shot in Game 6. The series remains the most watched in NBA history. Elsewhere in the league, Phoenix Suns minority owner John Najafi is calling for majority owner Robert Sarver to resign. In an open letter to team employees Thursday night, Najafi said there should be zero tolerance for lewd, misogynistic, and racist conduct in any workplace. Sarver was banned from the NBA for a year while being hit with a $10 million fine on Tuesday after the NBA's investigation revealed multiple instances of workplace misconduct. And in WNBA news, President Biden's schedule today included meeting with the families of basketball star Brittany Griner and security executive Paul Whelan. Both are currently classified as wrongfully detained in Russia. Secretary of State Antony Blinken announced back in July that the U.S. had made an offer for their return. National Security Council Coordinator John Kirby said Friday that negotiations with Russia are still ongoing. And in sports tonight, 14 baseball games are on the schedule, including an Astros-A's matchup featuring Cy Young hopeful Justin Verlander. The 39-year-old, who's won two previous Cy Young Awards, leads the AL in wins and ERA 
while his Astros team needs just one more victory to secure a postseason spot. That's all for your sports news today. Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Dave. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.